I'm Eileen Dunn and this is the Good Friday edition of The God Slot. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. All that people have they will give to save their lives, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. He is in your power. Only spare his life. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Do quickly what you are going to do. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. In previous Good Friday editions of the programme, we've examined various aspects of Jesus, but tonight, as those extracts from the Book of Job and the Gospels of Luke and John might suggest, we take an in-depth look at his greatest adversary, Satan. Armed with very long spoons, because that, according to the 14th century proverb, is the only safe way to sup with the devil, we're joined by Gospel preacher and broadcaster Miles McKee, director of the Jemison Dublin International Festival, Humphreys, adjunct assistant professor at the Department of Religions and Theology at Trinity College, Margaret Daly Denton, and from the BBC studios in London, writer, journalist and broadcaster Peter Stanford, who has written The Devil, a biography. Let's begin with you, Peter, as you're intimately equated with the subject. This is a very big ask, I suppose, but could you give us a brief history of the devil? Where did he originate and what's his impact been on humanity throughout the ages? I'm glad you didn't say intimately acquainted with the devil, but just with with the subject, which is, I suppose, a better place to be. Um, uh, the, the the devil is very much a Christian construction. Uh, we heard just then a, a, an extract from the book of Job in the Old Testament. But I think it's very important to say at the outset that the Satan that we hear about in the book of Job is very much a chief prosecutor in, in God's heavenly court. Um, that it, in, in one sense, uh, Satan in the book of Job is on God's side. And it's only 
rarely when we get onto the New Testament, the Christian New Testament, that you, you find this, um, this kind of cosmic battle going on between good and evil. And we heard about Jesus in the wilderness there. And, and there is, is, you know, these two equal and opposite powers on earth. Very important it's on earth because when you get to the end of the New Testament, uh, it is clear that the devil is on the last day of judgment subservient to God, that God is omnipotent. And you see, again, another aspect of, of very familiar of Christian um, of Christian interpretations around the devil uh, in the other reading we heard and both Luke and John tell the story about how Satan um, uh, or the devil comes to possess Judas Iscariot so why did Judas Iscariot uh, betray Jesus uh, because he was possessed by the devil and really that whole imagery theology all those ideas around the devil were very very much developed by Christianity you don't see them to any large extent certainly in Judaism which talks when it thinks about evil talks about an evil an evil inclination which is sort of within us and in Islam you you do have the sense there are there are devil-like figures in the Quran uh, shaitan and iblis but I think the best way to see them is very much almost as sort of terriers nipping at somebody's heel Gronya, Satan is no stranger to Hollywood, to the big or the small screen. How has he been portrayed down through the years? Well, it's actually fascinating. Most of the time it's feature films. Most of the time there's actually a sense where there is a, a, a sort of galvanising of what the uh, external perceptions of Satan are and then sending them back out to the audience. So the other thing that's interesting is, I suppose, the way in which uh, the silent period is also the first time that we see Faust and the representation uh, in Murnau's film of that idea of the pact um, and the, the, the Faustian pact and then there's a bit of a leap then you probably move the whole way through through the 1940s with the devil and Daniel Webster um, and then I think we get to probably one of the most popular which is is the greatest story ever told the George Stevens film in which Max von Sydow plays Jesus and Donald Pleasance actually plays uh, Satan and, and in, in a sense that's probably one of the strongest elements uh, on screen because you also would have films like The Passion of the Christ for instance or you'd have Last Temptation of Christ in which there are very very different uh, personifications I mean in, in The Passion of the Christ for instance you you have a, a very genderless uh, uh, character. You have a, a very hooded, very fringe-like uh, portrayal of someone uh, in a film that is incredibly graphic, incredibly violent, uh, nearly a horror film. It's actually a very subtle, uh, very shadowy, very restrained portrayal. Um, what's then, I suppose, sort of interesting is the 80s and 90s, which is the period when most people that I spoke to uh, before coming on the show were talking about, were all about the big actors in Hollywood taking on the big part, the ultimate baddie being the part that people like Jack Nicholson, for instance, Al Pacino, the ones that they really wanted to play. They're very over the top. Uh, they're extremely attractive, libidinous. All of these portrayals are very much sort of as far as you can push it. And the thing that's interesting is, is parallel to that, you actually have another strand I think that works and probably is, is, is very uh, identifiable which is the Exorcist films. The interesting thing about that is that has continued I think up until today and has been a very rich source of income for Hollywood. I mean there's remakes and remakes and remakes. I'm not sure whether my colleagues would agree but it actually hasn't moved in terms of, of, of a discussion. It's really much stayed I think where it was probably in the early 1970s. Well exorcism is certainly something we'll come back to later in the programme. Miles to you you're a gospel preacher. How, how do you View, view the devil is he an actual person or a symbol what's your take I, I, it's very simple Arlene uh, as, a, as a gospel minister I'm subject to the scriptures if I remove myself from the authority of the Bible then what I'm offering is an opinion but uh, 
I take the Bible to be the word of God and therefore conclude that he is actual, Satan is actual. However, I don't believe for a moment he's a little creature in a red flannel suit carrying a pitchfork with a little cloven tail. That's that's a Middle Ages invention. But uh, that's not what he's like. In fact, um, something that's overlooked about Satan is his metamorphic character. He can change. In fact, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that he changes himself, transforms himself into an angel of light. He presents himself as the nice guy deliberately to take people away from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Satan, I want to say this about him. Uh, there's two big mistakes we can make about him. Number one, we can underestimate him. And number two, we can overestimate him. The devil has limited power. Now, he's got more power than I have, but he doesn't have as much power as Christ. Christ Jesus went to the cross and made a public spectacle of him at the cross and triumphed over him at the cross. And although the history, his history has always tried to thwart the purposes of God, the purposes of God could not be thwarted. Christ saved his people at the cross by purchasing them with his own blood. Okay, Margaret Daly-Denton, you too are a biblical scholar. Would you agree with Miles or do you have a different take? Um, as a student of, of the Bible, I'd, I'd be inclined to look at the kind of literature that we're dealing with when we, when we read biblical texts. Satan's actually a Hebrew, Hebrew word. He's envisaged as a member of God's court in the sense of a legal court and a royal court. And when the scriptures were translated into Greek, um, the word diabolos was used, from which we get diabolical. And I mean, the original Greek meaning of the word diabolical is slanderous, mm-hmm. you see. So Satan is the big is the big slanderer, or the devil is, is the big slanderer. So um, I, li- I like to think in terms of uh, people trying to deal with the problem of evil in the world. There's a very interesting little thing in, in the Old Testament. Um, it, in the stories of King David, we're told that God incited David to take a census. Um, and that was a bad thing. We won't go into why, but you know, that was regarded as a bad thing. It's interesting because that story was retold by another biblical author a few hundred years later that we know as the Chronicler. And he actually says that Satan incited David to take that census. You see, so you can see an author who's unhappy with the idea of of saying that God caused someone to do something wrong. And I think that this notion of the devil and Satan comes out of all that reflection. And then, as as Peter said, he develops, you know, in the in the religious imagination of people, he develops characteristics. Sean Frayne, who's uh, who died just within the last twelve months, and was Indeed, a regular was a contributor to, to the yeah. to the God slot. Uh, Sean had a lovely little axiom that I think of um, when I, when I think about the devil. He says he used to say the religious imagination abhors a vacuum, and I think that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. And I mean, I, I agree with Margaret. I mean, I think 
uh, perhaps I'd say it in, in, a, in, a, in a slightly different light in that I think uh, Christianity has sometimes lacked the courage of its convictions. So as Christians, we believe that, that God is responsible for everything. Uh, but sometimes we've, we felt a bit reluctant to, uh, to shuffle rather unpleasant things onto God's shoulders. It's almost as if we've wanted to keep God uh, clean and pure. And so therefore, we, we, we've kind of built up this figure of the devil because it, because it is quite convenient. I mean, I think in a psychological way as well, the devil is often quite convenient in that um, it puts things outside human beings. And um, I remember when I was researching the book, going along to a, a, a youth prayer meeting that was part of the kind of alpha course. And everyone was sitting there saying what a kind of good or bad week they'd had. And there was a young woman there who said, uh, I've had a terrible week this week, everyone. The devil made me spend all my money. And you thought, well, that's rather convenient, isn't it? You didn't spend it yourself. And I think sometimes, I mean, endless negative <laughs> yeah. things about the devil. But I think sometimes it can be a comfort to say, well, it's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with God. It's this external figure. And certainly in the medieval times, and you know, if when, when the devil was really um, haunted the medieval imagination, people imagined the devil was round every corner. If you watch medieval, um, the mystery plays and, and, and whatever, there is the devil always. Well, Miles, go back, say, to the Gospels then. We heard there the Gospel of John where the devil was seen as entering Judas. Mm. How, how much do we take from the Gospels and what they say about him in terms of whether you can use them as an excuse or a scapegoat. Oh, well, of course, uh, uh, that's quite true, uh, what Peter is saying, that people use him as an excuse. Flip Wilson did that years ago, uh, a comedian, and he said every time he did something bad, he said, it was the devil made me do it. However, back in the Gospels, uh, take, for example, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 70 disciples to evangelize. And when they came back, they were thrilled. They said, oh, the demons, the very demons were subject to us. And uh, Jesus said, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But in this, don't rejoice. He said, rejoice rather that your names are written that in the Lamb's book of life or that you've got eternal life. Now, which of these, am I not going to believe the devil? Okay, well then, let's not believe the rest of it. I may not comprehend it all, but uh, the scripture Jesus taught cannot be broken. Uh, Margaret, do you have a view on that? It does seem that some people pick and choose and some churches even pick and choose. It does. It It may sound like picking and choosing and uh, that wouldn't be exactly what I'd call it myself. Um, I really am very strongly committed to the idea that we have to recognise that these are ancient writings that come from a culture and a historical situation you know, separated from us by a lot of time and space. And certainly the task of biblical scholars, you know, would be to try and understand that historical situation, that worldview the people had, their culture, um, and, you know, to be able to try as best we can, we can't do it fully, but to try and read their writings on their terms rather than ours. And we need to see, for example, that uh, this belief in, in a personalised Satan developed at a time when the people of Israel were living under extremely harsh, uh, oppressive Greek rule uh, and that um, the Greeks were trying to actually stamp out Israelite religious traditions, you know. Uh, and so they would have, they would have seen that um, colonising power as, as a manifestation of evil. Peter, you in your book talk about the devil be, having been put in mothballs in, in recent years and the churches being uncomfortable with the notion of the devil and that notion of evil. 
Well, certainly what you see in, in mainstream Christianity is, is a sort of sidelining of the, a sort of rather un uh, awkward, uncomfortable sidelining of the devil. So, for instance, the Church of England, the Anglican Church, uh, uh, describes evil now as like the holes in Swiss cheese, i.e. nothingness, which seems a little vague compared to the, this, this rather extraordinary imagery that we have of, of, of the devil in the past. And even within Catholicism, I, I think you have to look back to, um, uh, to Pope Paul VI in the mid-1970s, early 1970s, for the last time a Pope really sort of spoke at length on the devil um, and, and, and all those ideas. Now, you know, if you look back to your kind of medieval pulpits, uh, the, the devil was mentioned probably more times than Jesus from the pulpit. And actually, even myself growing up in the, um, in the 1970s, being taught by the Christian brothers, uh, we had a very, very strong sense that, that Satan was around every corner waiting to tempt us. Um, but also what you have is every Catholic diocese, and indeed every Anglican diocese, uh, has an exorcist. And those exorcists perform exorcisms. When you go and meet them, they will tell you that 99.9% .9 of the time, uh, what they do is they send on the person who comes to see them to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or to get help, basically. But in rare occasions, they do see cases of possession. So if they are exorcising people, if the churches maintain a, a network of exorcists, then who is it that they are exorcising? So I, I just think it would be quite interesting within Catholicism to have a discussion about quite what it is that we feel because if you bring up the devil people tend to sort of they feel rather awkward about it and I you know I can see why from the point of view of, uh, of an institutional Catholic Church that it feels that in the medieval period because of course the devil was used to fuel the Inquisition and terrible things were done by the Inquisition the way that you 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 justify torturing people murdering people was you said they were possessed by the devil so all Jews were possessed by the devil all women were possessed by the devil it, you know that, that whole history and the modern Catholic Church is very very key to distance itself from that. Grania, can yeah. I just come to you? I mean, if this is the case, then exorcisms are still going on. Doesn't that explain then the fascination with the whole subject in Hollywood? A absolutely. And, and and in that sense of, as I said, the sort of the, the forbidden that, that you can actually watch this on a screen and then you can leave it behind you. You can you know watch it eating popcorn and then leave the darkened space. But just to pick up on something that Peter said, I was fascinated by a story recently about the Bible, which was a very successful TV series on the History Channel in America. And they, the success of it led to a feature film that's just been released called Son of God, which chronicles the life of Christ through the New Testament. But what's interesting about it is, is that, uh, the, uh, that Satan and the devil has been left entirely out of the actual feature film, um, predominantly because the uh, uh, depiction uh, uh, in the TV series drew so, so much attention that they actually felt that it actually spun the actual PR in a different direction. And so that they, uh, there was also a suggestion that people believe that the, the character looked somewhat like President Obama, but that's another <laughs> argument entirely. Um, but they deliberately left him out of the feature film because they felt that this was something that was actually drawing attention away from what the actual film was about. So it's really interesting to see that what Peter's saying is actually, you know, happening in, in, in production, if you like, back okay. in. Now let me come and, back to something and, else. And to so, sorry, oh, I was going to say just, 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 just to pick up on what you're saying. That thing about fa people putting, putting, uh, mixing up faces and, and and the devil. I mean, I think you see that in in our much more secular times, uh, because people still have a sense of evil and they still have a sense of bad things going on that are kind of greater than any one human being. And I think we do have a whole history, um, uh, certainly in the Western world, of now we've sort of done away with the devil in lots of ways in mainstream religion, and we've done away with religion in many cases. We sort of 
we take the faces of terrible criminals, of terrible terrorists, of people who've done appalling acts, and they sort of become the face of the devil. I mean, the one that I remember really clearly was, I think he was called Timothy McVeigh, who was the man who did the Oklahoma mm. bombing in the United States mm -hmm. in the 1990s. And there was a Time magazine cover where they had him coming out of the court, and they'd literally washed the photograph in red, which, of course, is the devil's colour. Um, they, they, his eyes looked incredibly sort of, you know, all the standard imagery of the devil. And short of literally drawing horns on his head, they'd more or less told him that told us that he was the devil so we like to to imagine we can see the devil in certain faces so we have these kind of icons of evil who become devils and here in Britain of course we have the notorious case of Myra Hindley the Moors murderess who killed children uh, when she died all the headlines are here were wait may she rot in hell the devil is gone so we, we, you know we project we still project this onto people just bringing it up to contemporary and with the Pope Pope Francis on the first Sunday of Lent he talked about Lent being an opportunity to renew our baptismal vows, to um, we renew our baptismal promises, we renounce Satan and all of his works and seductions because he is a seducer, right? He posed it as a question. What would your reactions be to that? Uh, Margaret, maybe if I come to you first. Well, I, I would see that as a reference to the seduction of evil in itself. Um, I, I don't need to actually believe that evil is a personal being but the reality of evil is there it's within myself and it's it is seductive miles oh well i um i wouldn't be the pope's number one supporter you understand that mm -hmm. but um uh, you're to renounce the devil in all his works i mean i'm, I'm on a different um wavelength on this whole thing uh, because i I look and say, well, everybody's going mad about Lent. Where is that in the Bible? Show me. And I, if it's in the Bible, I'll do it. Peter, I wanted to come back to you on Pope Francis. Would you have been surprised yeah. to hear him talking like that about the devil? Again, I, I agree with Margaret on this. I mean, I think one way of looking at the history of the devil, uh, certainly in Christianity, is an attempt to put a face to uh, an intangible reality of evil. And I think if you asked most people, had they come across things that they might describe as evil, they would say yes. And then uh, it's a natural human instinct that we, that we want to put a face to it. And the devil has served that purpose in the past. Um, so I think, you know, the issue that we, we are we are still dealing with that we've always dealt with in the in the human condition is evil and that's what the devil was about. Grania, would you have a view on that? No, only that I, I, I agree. I mean I think it's it's fascinating when you're actually trying to think about uh, you know these these big issues, how you immediately I think fall back onto the the uh, well I definitely fall back onto the images that I've seen. And it, it's it's not books, it's not necessarily debate in terms of radio or media, it's actually cinema. It's actually falling back onto the, the sort of portrayals that I've seen and that duality of, of good and evil and actually I I think you do fall into the idea that it is a person simply because of that, that thing in your head. OK, now time is moving on. Unfortunately, there are two quotes that I want to put to you and, and get your reactions to both. One is from St Thomas More, who says that the devil is a proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked. And the other is the poet Baudelaire, who says that the devil's greatest while is to convince us that he doesn't exist. Who's got it right? I can only think of yeah, the usual suspects. Yeah. Isn't that what Kaiser yeah. Sose said? The greatest thing he ever did was actually to convince the people he never existed. That's and right. I think it is, you know, that... I think that, they're both yeah. right. Yeah. They're on different yeah. levels. They're both right. Yeah. Peter? Yeah. 
Um, the, the Baudelaire one is great, obviously, isn't it? Because, um, because it means you can never close the debate, you can never come to, to a conclusion. And having written this book about the devil, which was a few years back now, um, which, which more or less says, as I've already said, that you know, the devil was a face that we put to the intangible reality of evil, I did forever afterwards, and perhaps this is down to my Christian brother's upbringing, I did forever afterwards. Every time I was in a building with a lift and the lift would go down, I had this terrible fear the lift would carry on going down beyond Angel the ground heart. floor, Angel beyond the heart, basement. <laughs> indeed, indeed, seen the film. And the, and the doors, the doors would oh, open dear. and there would be this man with sulphur breath, horns and all of Long those nails. things. So you, t- you told everyone I didn't exist. You were wrong, weren't you? So Baudelaire's right in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Robert De Niro's waiting for you. Uh, uh, There's a song in that, isn't there? There is. <laughs> Did you want to come in on those quotes now? Do you have a final word? Um, well, I think I think what we have to recognise exists is the evil, as the as the Jewish tradition would have it, the evil inclination within humankind. That's what you say in, in your introduction, Peter. The fundamental question of evil remains, and with it, the devil. I'd just like to ask you: that book was written nearly twenty years ago. Would you change any of it now? Kind of awful to think it was twenty years. Um, uh, no, I wouldn't really. I, not, nothing has happened to me since that, that, that has changed that view. Um, but I don't think the discussion has has moved on really within the kind of broader Christian community between those people who who take what's written in in Scripture very literally around the devil and those who sometimes the mainstream churches, Catholicism, Anglicanism, sometimes they like the idea of the devil or they they they, they use it in terms of exorcism, but most of the time they don't. Actually, you know, Pope Benedict the um, Sixteenth. Uh, at one stage when he was having to grapple with the idea of um, uh, priestly abuse, uh, talked about the evil one. You know, in times of trial, we tend to reach back to the devil. And I just think we have to be very, very wary of that. Well, fascinating and all as it is, we'll have to leave these diabolical matters there for the moment. My thanks to all our guests, to Peter Stanford, Miles McKee, Margaret Daly-Denton and Gráinne Humphreys for joining us on this Good Friday. Our phone number is 01-208-2039. The email address is godslot at rte.ie and our postal address is the godslot rte radio 1 Dublin 4. Next week is the final programme of the series and we'll be previewing the canonisations of Blessed Popes John XXIII and John Paul II. Gajishin, Kosh Connacht.